0: specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
1: Have you ever wondered what makes a great conversation? How being present, curious, and creative affect the quality of our conversations? Joe Ferraro, a high school English teacher, thinks about having a conversation a lot. But more specifically, Joe focuses on how to have damn good conversations. During our damn good conversation, Joe talks about his journey from being a high school teacher to launching the 1% Better podcast over four years ago, an event that has now helped him launch a new business where he helps people do just that, have better conversations now, and every single time. Joe stresses that you need to be curious and present with the person or people you are speaking with to have great conversations, an area that I tend to struggle with with my own family. But in our daily lives, Joe also points out that asking better questions naturally leads to better conversations. Please enjoy my conversation with Joe Ferraro. So Joe, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. I am exceptionally excited to have this conversation because conversations are what you do. And so I think the the best place to start is to have you kind of talk to our audience about your background, because what what I'm really fascinated fascinated with is you're a teacher and now you've launched this podcast that you've been doing now successfully for over four years. So I think that's probably the, the best area for us to start
2: yeah, first of all, I love the the name of your podcast. You've obviously put a lot of time and thought into it, and I just I just love that idea. I've been I've been ruminating it for a few days as I prepared for our talk today, so I just want to acknowledge that. This conversation finds me entering my twenty third year in the classroom, high school English. I did five years of middle school teaching, but we won't talk about that. We'll focus on the high school public speaking and creative writing. And I think there was a natural spiral that let me enjoy conversations. And I think one click further, deconstruct them right from a very encouraging place find out what's working about great conversations like the ones you host so without even knowing it i've been hosting shaping improving helping people encourage their conversations with one of the toughest audiences known to mankind which is teenagers for almost two decades. God and bless then, you for that, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Sometimes, you know, my wife teaches seventh grade and sometimes people say, oh, that's tough. And then I teach 12th grade. Oh, that's tough. What, what's not tough? Like, when is it not tough? I, I think the kindergarten teachers, I think the first grade teachers, I think the special education teachers should be acknowledged a lot more than a 12th grade teacher who's just trying to reawaken the power of communication. I don't I don't use the word just lightly. It's It's something I take a lot of pride in, obviously. But there's a lot of different places in this in this profession for a lot of people that do just Herculean effort but to put a bow on the conversation I started a podcast with a friend in 2014 and he kept pushing me out of the nest to launch my own and then July 1st 2017 I launched a podcast called 1% better and uh, we are staring down the barrel of episode 200 man and it's been it's been a great ride where it's hopefully helped encourage people in all manners of communication mindset language and behavior and it's certainly done an awful lot for me
1: well, I'm only I think your episode's going to be around 40 for me. This is my first year in doing this. So, I've I've got a long ways to go, but I'd certainly appreciate the uh, the content that you put out that helps other people like me that have launched podcasts of our own. And so it's you know having great people on like you to have these conversations has been terrific and I I I need to probably mention this right at, off the get-go is I first found out about you through Amber Selking's podcast, um, Championship Mindcast, uh, mindsets, I should say. Yeah. Um, so that was, and and I love Amber. She's her podcast is terrific uh, because it really focuses on the emotional side of of what I do with working with people in the you know financial service space with wealth planning, portfolio management, and even taxes. So. Uh, that was That was a great find by her to get you and then and then to, and me to find you there
2: she's she 's a leader disguised as a ball of energy and uh, what a world class thought leader and encourager and yeah you 're right. we did a home and home right I was on her podcast she was on mine and if people go back and listen to those they 'll hear her interrupt me at the best times and question something and have a laugh in her voice and say, "Wait, how come i didn't get more you know it 's just a great personality." She's become a friend through the, the communication process. And I, I really, I love that you found uh, my work through her. And it just means so much to see that kind of community of podcasters growing.
1: So let's start with, I'm familiar with the 1% Better concept um, through the work of James Clear, who you had on your podcast. And I want you to talk about that conversation because I think the world of James, I've not met James. I've been on a few webinars with him uh, through a couple of networks I've been associated with. But one of the things that either in James's work and some other work I've read where the, the most popular example of this 1% better was the British cycling team. So can you kind of start laying out like what this whole concept of 1% better is and the mindset around it and how you start really achieving it bit by bit?
2: James was my guest on episode 62, and and I still have people that come out of the woodwork to say, what a great episode. It was years ago, and I look forward to having him on again. But his book, Atomic Habits, is one of those top five books that I recommend to anyone. Usually, I try to customize my recommendations. But if people are trying to get into the productivity or uh, improvement space, it's just such a clear book. And, And it's so interesting and coincidental that his last name is an indicator of exactly how he writes. He doesn't put a sentence out, Paul, that you don't know what it means. It's amazing, right? We all struggle with communication. We take our time and craft our words, and you go and pull a random sentence out of any one of his tweets, any one of his blog posts, and it's, it's utterly, utterly transparent to what he means. And I think one of the great rules of communication is not to be understood, but to make sure you cannot be misunderstood. And he's probably, to my mind, one of the best in the world at doing just that. And if you go back and research that British cycling team, the coach who found out that if we improve the brakes just a little bit, if we just take the handlebars and make them a little sleeker, perhaps we can get a little more aerodynamic on the helmet, all these small marginal gains will increase our productivity exponentially. And James will use fancy words when they apply. And it's really an interesting concept that I fell in love with as a lifestyle. Kaizen in the Asian arts, um, right? Continuous improvement, 1% better. I, I love that lifestyle. For me, there was always a slight uh, pivot too with it, which would be if someone asked me and it happened today, Hey, could you give me a couple of places to, to visit? My family's going to Hilton Head Island.
1: Oh, I well, love Hilton
2: Head, right? it's a beautiful <laughs> place. And, and here's the, the place that applies to listeners who've never been there. I said, actually, I've only been to Hilton Head once. Appreciate you asking, but I know a guy so now I go to the guy and I say, hey, my, friends, my good friend's going to Hilton Head. He's got young kids. Is there anything that he can't miss while he's there? And Paul, I find that fits into the 1% Better Mindset because there's so many of us that are going through our lives passively. And let's, let's face it, we're stressed. We have a lot on our mind, but that's why I love the 1%. Can your next vacation or staycation or book or cup of coffee, can it be a little bit better if you put in just a little bit more thought, if you hit it from the side door, right? And, I, and I'll close with this and then I'll be happy to open up anything you have in mind. Think of it getting into a, a new place, a new town, a new city. You get into the Uber and you, you know, you say, What's the best restaurant in town? And the Uber takes you to the best restaurant in town that's probably a tourist place, and there's a line, and it's, you know, it's a it's something that he said a hundred times because he has been asked that question a million times. What would happen if we said to that Uber driver, what's the best restaurant in town that no one's heard of? What would happen to our experience? We would end up in a place that's a little off the beaten path. The food's extraordinary because we added three words to our question. So what I try to do is figure out in the worlds of mindset, how can we think 1% better? Language, how can we ask better questions and be a little bit better listeners and behavior our habits how can we do all of those not at
1: this herculean level just 1% better so where i guess from a really a tactical or technical standpoint where is the best place for somebody to start because i think a lot of times even like in the work that i do people have are overwhelmed by just the big picture aspect of planning in life, whether it's on the financial side or the emotional side or just lifestyle in general. And especially because I work with a lot of parents that have multiples or multiple kids. And I find it hard to just to give them bite-sized information and break that down where, look, I just want to take baby steps here. Like retirement is a long way off. College is a long way off still. You know, what, here's what I want to try to do today. And just get them in a mindset where one I guess one bite of the elephant at a time
2: well I mean I just love how you frame that question right what's the best way to start this to make it approachable there's a couple of cliches that are true a couple of quotes that I want to to share for people first of all the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago but the second best time is today right and if we can actually embrace what that means because I don't know about you, for me, there is often guilt associated with the past saying, I wish I would have started saving. I wish I would have started dieting. Oh my God, when I look at that old picture, I was this much heavier or things like that. I wish I wore my hair like that. Well, that's that's gone, right? We're not promised tomorrow, but we're promised today. So the actual big idea is to start. Start before you're ready and start somewhere. You know, that other metaphor that works really well is it's easier to redirect a ship or a vehicle once it's moving. It's hard to get it going. So just yeah. get going. And that could be uh, having a seltzer instead of uh, a soda. And that sounds, what's that going to do? It's going to do a lot if you, if you do that small micro action. I often recommend to people, starting with language, in one of the, th- the ways that seems hokey and people don't like to hear it right away. But Right now, we have that, that viral clip of Ernie Johnson talking about, you know, get to instead of got to or had to, right? Get to over have to. Take something mundane in your life, like taking out the garbage. You'll be like, oh, I get to take out the trash tonight and people will make fun of you. And then all of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute, I have a home or an apartment. I have trash that, you know, and it gets a little bit in your head at first and you start reprogramming. So sometimes word choice can mean a lot. But for some people... It's micro actions. You know, I, I'll, I'll give an example from fitness. People continue to break out the research of how helpful walks are, but walks don't burn the calories at the rate where you're just dying on the treadmill, but they do an awful lot. And then they are keystone habits, right? We're thinking, we're getting more clear. So I think for people that when they even overthinking the idea of where to start is beginning somewhere that feels easy. Tim Ferriss says, what would it look like if it was easy? think give the easiest change you can make in your life, start it today, and then redirect at any point. I think that's a, a framework that could be useful for people.
1: So I think what, what you're kind of diving into there is a lot of work that's been done by one of my favorite researchers of all time, Carol Dweck. Not sure if you're familiar mindset, with Carol. Sure, yeah. Mindset shift, like this whole growth versus a fixed mindset. And it's something that, that I struggle with that I, I I've known her work for a long time, but what's really interesting for me now as a father, as a parent is how I see my kids kind of go back and forth between, you know, growth and fixed mindsets. And, and every time they're getting down on themselves, I, I automatically think of Carol's work in this. And then, and then to, to your conversations and to James's conversations about this 1% better. And I, I try to take it as a, a learning opportunity to say, Hey, look, you know, everything's not going to go your way. And, but there's ways to overcome this and there's, there's ways to, to, you know, open up your mind. And for them, obviously they're 10 years old and eight years old. So it's still a little hard, but I, I kind of relish those opportunities. I don't, sometimes I don't probably handle them the way I should or would like to, but um, there are opportunities nonetheless.
2: Yeah, I think we, we need to give ourselves grace, right? I have an 11 and an eight-year-old, and I think a lot of the work we do with them is around conversations and not to be too on the nose, but I think that's huge. And I think we could use that perfect example of Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, as a really low-pressure way for people to get in. And here's what I mean. People will hear us discuss it, and then they'll say, well, people have been recommending this book for a long time. I got to go get it. I got to finally go get it. But here's what I would offer people. Grab the book, read the first chapter, make no guarantees, no promises and no guilt that you're going to finish the book. Read the first chapter. If you like the first chapter, which I believe will give you a trem- intro first chapter will give you a tremendous insight into her big idea, and then remember that most business books need to be 236 pages. That doesn't mean we have to read I'm going to whisper this. That doesn't mean we have to read all 236. Even as an English teacher, if you liked it, go to the table of contents and you'll see Carol has Mindset for business, mindset for athletes, mindset for teachers, read the chapter you like, and that might be enough. Seth Godin says, sometimes I stop reading when I get the joke. Well, you get the joke, you get the idea. I walked away changed from mindset, but when I recommend it to people for the first time, I just tell them, Pinky promised me, you're not going to have to read the whole book. Get to read what you want to read, get the idea and keep moving.
1: Yeah. I think the, the point there that, that I would pull out of that, Joe, is to have grace. Again, something I'm not really good at <laughs> myself, but to, to allow ourselves that to take that pressure off, or, off of ourselves where we, we know the ideas are great. We know that the 1% better is a really uh, a great method uh, to, to build a cornerstone life around, but it's okay if we fall off the wagon. And I think that's that's I think something that we all most people struggle with. I know I do
2: <laughs> to tie it up together. James Clear has this idea. Never miss twice. Yes. Right. You're familiar with the idea there. And people might know, like, all right, I'm going to have uh, I had an ice cream Sunday today. And man, is it, the whole diet shot? Well, no. Back on the ha- on the horse today and trying to have those small wins. And I, I think that's a lot of the theme of our conversation giving people the opportunity to find their way in and take what they want from it.
1: So I want to pivot back to to your story Joe and how you how do you how did you go from English teacher still are your English teacher obviously to launching this podcast and getting involved in this 1% better how did how did you what's your story like how did you come about it I think that there was
2: actually a natural progression right I won't I won't be disingenuous with you and the listeners and say, Oh, I never saw myself hosting a conversation where I would hit record. No, I felt that as a teacher, you know, you have people of their origin story of teachers where they taught stuffed animals, where they were, you know, at the the chalkboard in their bedrooms, they always knew they wanted to be a teacher. I didn't have that, but I felt that I could make an impact in inspiring people. So whatever that took and whatever form that took over the years, it's become apparent And I'll never forget this. I have a a former student. She's probably 30 years old now. And she gave me this very interesting and bizarre compliment. I was drinking a ton of water at the time to the point where I had a huge water bottle, like bigger than these these name brands that aren't sponsoring us. We won't say their name, but just this huge thing, like absurd. And I would just bring that into the classroom and I would start the conversation. I would ask questions and we'd have this crackling conversation. She was a very good writer and very bright girl. And she just said to me one time, I don't understand it you walk into a classroom with a water bottle and just have a conversation. Like it was almost like there was this one expectation of what a teacher should be. And then, then I came in and did this other thing. And yeah, we taught skills and reading and writing, critical thinking, all that stuff. But a lot of the through line, Paul was the ability to have damn good conversations. And even though I didn't launch that company and my coaching practice and consulting till much, much later, it all felt like a natural offshoot. And, um, I never questioned it, you know. When I started the podcast, I didn't know "quote unquote" where the money would come from, where I'd be able to continue to support the family outside of teaching. Um, but it's been a natural step by step progression that I never questioned. I mean, I didn't, I didn't say, "Oh, this is easy," but I thought that one thing naturally led to the other, and I kept following my curiosity and being consistent. And I think you said it right. You're in your 40s of the episodes. I'm now approaching 200. And all that really means is the consistency, the compounding, as you know, in your world. It, it's starting to show up in a really, really exciting way.
1: So that actually leads me to another a, a question I hadn't put down on my note sheet, but balance. So you, you're a teacher, you've got your 1% Better podcast, and then you've, you've launched your consulting company, Damn Good Conversations. And you're a parent, you're a husband. <laughs> Joe, Ooh. how do you balance all that? Well, I, I was going to lean on you for this
2: because you, <laughs> you got the balance word in your, in your title. All right. And I love the, the, the twist on it with emotional. Here's what I'd workshopped over the years in my head. When you think of a seesaw, it's so, so seldom horizontal, evenly horizontal, even in cartoons. it's yeah. it's lopsided. That's kind of the the avatar I have in my head when it comes to balance. Not that it's even, horizontal, but that when it's down on the left, you need to do some actions, you need to do some meditation or prayer, you need to do some writing to get it back, maybe some conversation to get it back to balance. So it's a very misleading word to people, balance, because I don't think it can ever have an equilibrium, and I don't know if that's the right science term, but I think it's very difficult for it to sit horizontal. I don't know if that image sits well with you or your listeners, but that's what I have in my mind when I think about it.
1: No, I actually completely agree. I think this this idea of I'll use work-life balance is a myth because going back, I love your analogy of the seesaw because there's going to be times in your life where... Work is taking priority, even though you love your family and want to take care of your family. That work is, you know, taking priority. And then there's other times that your family is going to be taking priority. So to your point, you're never just at, you know, even keel, equilibrium, if you will. There's always going to be, you know, points in your life where one, you know, one's taking priority over the other. And I tell people. One of the things I actually learned from somebody else um, years ago when it came to putting together you know wealth management plan or or lifestyle goals or financial goals, whatever they may be, is that you can put them together and they're all great, and there's things that you're you're striving toward, and maybe you're focused on the processes. But then something happens. And I always use the example with me. Something happened with me. My wife and I had a set of triplets. And so you know the the things that I thought, you know i was going to do in life suddenly change and i thought well maybe they're out of reach and one of those was starting tama and but it it all worked out because i realized that yet yeah, right now i have to put that aside to focus on how am i going to you know start this you know triplet family and so you know i was actually in the middle of moving relocating from north carolina back to michigan where you know, my wife was where we were going to set up shop, if you will, because our families were here, and so, you know, I had to set that that goal or that that dream aside for a little bit to figure out, you know, what I was going to do with these triplets, and then once that once I got through that, I was like, okay, now I can start focusing on that a little bit, and I think it it goes back to what you were saying before, and and what you know James talks about, what Carol talks about is. I had enough notion to just take little steps and after 10 years of taking little steps, I'm here today. And, and especially I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I had that journey because I'm probably more appreciative of it versus having potentially like overnight success. I mean, you've heard the phrase and you, you probably experienced this yourself where, you know, I put in four plus years of hard work with your podcast to finally become a an overnight success.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think you, you paint such a nice picture for your listeners there, right? They get a real glimpse at who you are a family man, businessman. One of the key core ideas I used to talk about a lot when I would speak to groups is to follow a North Star or a compass, not a GPS, right? You're going to follow a GPS, it's going to tell you turn by turn, go left in 300 feet. But if you follow a compass, it's a directional thing. And when you knew you wanted to follow and, and build TAMA, you, you didn't. You didn't say, well, I'm promised a, a sheet that's going to tell me the direction, but you knew you can keep walking baby steps when the triplets came and you keep walking in that direction. I knew I wanted to speak with people and encourage them and help them have better conversations in their life and work. And I wanted to empower people and encourage them. And I didn't know that it would end up being more consulting and podcast coaching or speaking coach. I didn't know that but I'm walking in the direction of communication and helping people. And then years later, that's what happens. So I think that can be very, very meaningful for people.
1: So let's t- talk about what you do f- on the damn good conversation side. Like, what is, what is that business and how do you work and help people with that aspect of your life? I shared a conversation with a really talented writer. And
2: after the conversation, he said to me, how did that go? And I gave him a couple of, hey, it was great. Thanks. He goes, can you give me some feedback on how I did as a communicator? And I don't know about you, but I, after hundreds of episodes, I do not get that question. You get that question a lot from guests. What can I do better? No, I don't. Yeah. And that doesn't make it bad because we're lucky to have some really great guests and some polished communicators. This writer happened to be a world-class writer in my view. And if I was candid, had some room for growth in speaking and after our conversation, and I gave him 10 minutes of audio recorded notes, he said, well, what's, what's your rate for coaching? And then we have the imposter syndrome, which I don't like that name even. We could talk about that another time. And oh my God, what, what's the rate? I don't know. You know, you're trying to look like a pro, you're like, oh, well, I have a rate sheet. And I didn't have any of that. So I went back and just did some thought process. And this might help people for trying to price the people that are listening, trying to price their services. What's the price that would make sense for you to do it? but where you could exceed with the value you were giving. And I can't lie to people and say immediately I knew what value I was giving versus the price. But now, months and months later, I see it very clearly. So there's different pricing for different people's goals and different types of industries. And all all those things has been a creative process. But now this has turned into something where the majority of my clients are podcast hosts, Who are just getting started with their podcast or have hit that bump where they're saying, I want to be just a little bit better in the art of conversation. So that's been really cool. At the time of this recording, one of the really interesting things is um, I have two clients who haven't launched yet. And they said, "Um, I recorded a conversation. Could you listen to this? Give me some notes on it so that when we go to air, we're in a direction. And I got to tell you, not only do I take that very seriously, I take that as like, a it's just such a, it's a treat, right? It's work, but it doesn't feel like work, which I think for people can be a great North star. And uh, I have a a mentor with a great Canadian accent. And he says, when he's helping me, he says, Joe, I'm going to save you years of frustration. (laughs) Years, you hear me? And I'm like, but isn't it just days? Years. Okay, great. So now I take that. And I think if I was starting a podcast today, wouldn't it be helpful to have learned from mistakes of someone else? And I've made all the mistakes and I've made some successful choices. So those are, are, are some of the beautiful aspects of the work that I've been doing. And it's, it's like, it's not easy, but it's simple and it feels like it's, it's not work. And I think that's a great place for me to be.
1: And it's ironic that you bring that up because when I'm talking with families about what they want to do post-career, is to think about and, and start having these conversations either with yourself or with your spouse or partner who, whomever about what what do you want to do in this next chapter of your life that doesn't that doesn't feel like work but yet you know you're getting some kind of compensation for it. it's it's a I call it hybrid retirement planning because it can it can definitely um lengthen the amount of time or shorten the amount of time that you're, you have in your current career because you're gonna have a, a, a much longer uh, retirement runway. And so that's where people I don't, I, I find don't wanna put the cart before the horse. And it's an uncomfortable conversation or thoughts to have because they're in the daily grind of doing what they're doing. And most probably don't like it, but they don't give themselves enough time to think about what else I can do.
2: You bring up such an interesting point that I've been noodling on, right? So this is all rough draft thinking, but I bet it can help people. I have a a friend who made this clear in my head. Um, I think everyone's creative. I believe that. And I think everyone's curious. But this thought that I've been thinking in my head is, I wonder if people are too busy or too stressed to activate those two Cs, the curiosity and the creativity. Uh, an example that came to mind was I had this really big speaking engagement and I had mentioned it to only a few people ahead of time. And one of my friends who I notoriously think is both simultaneously thoughtful, creative and curious, and also stressed. And I I texted her and I said, this is what I'm doing. And she has yet to text back. How did it go now? (laughs) I'm not judging. I really am not. Because of what I said before, I believe she's stressed and overworked and has a family and she's doing a lot of things. But I think the larger point here is she clearly wants to know how it went, but she's too busy, too stressed to do it. So I think how does that apply to your listener? Well, I think we can can see right away. But another layer, another click deeper is don't decide today that it's not possible to get paid to be a speaking coach. Don't decide today that you can't sell your work on a website. I think we kill ourselves before we get started, right? I have one of the podcasts that I do a solo episode where it says how to become a food critic and why you should care. And I won't take the airtime up to describe it, but there was a time in my life where I decided I think it'd be cool to be a food writer. And I was able to get mildly successful at it by following a couple of core principles. And I don't say that to brag, I say that for people. If you're listening to this podcast, there's definitely some kind of creative dream inside of you. And even though this might not be the right season of your life to access it, write it down, give yourself five minutes a day to work towards it. And it, it can't be any different than the financial work you do, Paul. It's, it'll grow, right? I don't know how many students I've impacted, how many students think fondly of me or don't. There are seeds that you plant that will blossom someday somewhere. And I think that's the same for, for curiosity and creativity in people.
1: Yeah I I think that's that's a really elegant way to put that Joe because I I think I agree with you people are curious and going back to you know that that one of those fundamentals of of James's work is if you can have some kind of visual whether it's a checklist or whatever something visual that you can mark that you know you're you're going towards that like spending 5 minutes a day thinking about what it is that you want to do or like going back to the example of reading a book like i read 2 pages today you know whatever it may be i think having something visual is really important too although we're audio like i'd lift up my my own checklist here oh i like of, that of things that i started doing probably 2 years ago and I, it was actually worked by Gino um Whitman, uh traction Hmm. And so, you know, I think having something visual is motivating because motivation and you, uh, you probably well know this motivation and willpower aren't going to get you where you want to go. You, you, and that's where I, I I love your work and this whole concept of 1% better and James's work that there's, it's not the goals that are important. It's the process and the action, right? It's
2: a really, really keystone thing that can change the way people think about all their work action leads to motivation more frequently than motivation leads towards action action more frequently leads to motivation than the other way around you start walking and now your diet choices will be better tomorrow you you know a teacher mentor once said to me if you write a page a day at the end of 365 days you have a 365 day book or you don't like that's so visceral. It doesn't have to be perfect. What'd you do this year? 365 pages? Most people will never do that. One page in one of those black and white marble notebooks.
1: Yeah. It's, it's again, to your point, it's simple, but it's so, it's so powerful. Um, so let's, let's go back to focus on, on, on these conversations. And what are a couple of things that you can share with us that will help us have better conversations?
2: You ever meet someone and it's like, why do they seem like they're, they're ready for it? Why do they think like when the opportunity strikes, they're, they're prepared and they just seem like they're just, they're just in the moment all the time? Most of the time it's because they care about it a lot. And I think there's a lot of symptoms and fingerprints to caring. Before I jumped on this call with you, I wrote some things down. I've done a lot of podcasts, Paul. Could I quote unquote wing this interview? I suppose, but I don't know what that means. I don't know what winging it means. I think people use that willy nilly, if you will. Just like, oh, I'm going to wing it tomorrow. Well, I didn't wing this. I wrote down things that I wanted to make sure I shared with you and your listeners. Because to be honest, even though it's a busy season for everybody, there's really nowhere else I'd rather be than here. The invitation was something. I didn't take lightly. So I prepared so that I can make sure this
1: was a value for people. I think there's a bigger lesson there, right? Does that,
2: does that resonate?
1: Yeah, it sure does. And that's, that's, I'm so glad that you took the opportunity or, you know, replied back to my, my, my request, my opportunity to throw out to you to, to be on here, because I know you probably get inundated with requests like this. Like, I had Dan Pink on, are you familiar with Dan Pink? Yeah, yeah. So, so I had Dan on, um, I just recorded that episode last week and I had worked on getting Dan on for eight months and I think I just wore him down. But he was so incredible, so generous, generous with, your time, with his time, just like you are. And I think the amazing conversation with, with Dan was, and much like this one I'm having with you, is like I had a list of things I, I wrote down And I think we've gone off script at least a half dozen times. And so those to me are like, I know I'm having a good podcast conversation when I go off script a lot.
2: Yeah, I agree. And and you asked about conversation. I think conversation is a creative act. Let's make sure people hear that. I don't think if you said to someone, name a creative act, I think they would say drawing, painting, singing, dancing, pottery, all these things. And I don't think they would ever get to conversation. I think the choices we make in our language and the questions you ask me are incredible examples of creativity and action. And I think when people can embrace that, I think it can be super powerful. If we hang up this call and do another one tomorrow, it will resemble this in no way, shape or form, except that it's two gentlemen curious about each other's work. And it'll have that in common, but a lot of the questions will be different because of what I ate for breakfast or didn't, or because of the mood that I'm in, or because of the way the wind blows. These are incredible things that I, I love doing. So that was a piece, care about it, be prepared for it. You got that Abraham Lincoln quote, if you gave me eight hours to chop down a tree, I would spend the first six sharpening the ax. It's, it's hard to improve that quote when it comes to preparation. Like You don't need another quote. That's like the preparation quote. So I think that helps people. I think you should write down ideas, thoughts that you have when you have a conversation, both on a podcast and in quote-unquote real life. One of the other things I tell people all the time, most people I come across will say, I want my podcast conversations to feel like everyday conversations. I'm the inverse, and maybe I'm in the minority here. I actually want everyday conversations to feel more like podcasts. And I've come to believe that in my bones because there's something about this microphone and something about this headphones and looking into your eyes through this camera that locks me into a time and place. I'm not on my phone. I'm not worried about my kids reading a book or on the iPad. We're here. Imagine what could happen in our daily life and our work if when we had a conversation with someone else, we worked on asking just 1% better questions. We were just a little bit more curious, not judgmental. It's it's not soft skills. It's life-changing, relationship-building stuff that changes how you walk through the world. I really believe that.
1: I think one of the interesting things to pull out of that piece is to be present. And that's why I love these podcast conversations as well, because everything else is turned off and we're just focused on each other. And again, it it reminds me that I need to be that way in my own family life with, with my wife, Teresa, and with my triplets plus one, and I know a lot of times when they're talking to me, I'm zoning out. And the one thing that's that's been on my mind a lot lately, and I don't know, I don't know why, is that I know that my time with my kids is fleeting. So th- my triplets will be going into fifth grade. Mackenzie, our plus one, will be going into fourth grade. And I know that every year is different. You know, we, like Teresa and I have this saying, we've been taking things one day at a time. And now it's 10 years. I think one of the truest truism I've ever heard as a parent has been the days are long and the years are short. Wow. And I'm trying to, it's like, I'm trying to hold on to more moments and sometimes I'm good at it. And then sometimes like when one of my kids is talking to me and I'm not present and I'm like, shoot, I'm missing opportunities here. And I, I don't want to miss opportunities because what will happen is I don't want to have regret later on down the road when I was like, Oh, dad was too busy doing work or this or that or whatever. And, and I don't, I don't want that,
2: man. That, that is that's so poignant and beautiful. And we don't want to get into a cycle where we're beating ourselves up emotionally about the past, right. And all these missed moments and things, but I do think writing some things down, I've come kind of full circle on the picture thing. I don't, really love taking pictures because I think there's a place where you're you're actually not present because you're taking the pictures. But in moderation, there's something really gorgeous about having an image that you can go back to and think about where you were then. I mean, my youngest, you know, she's eight and she's now swimming in the ocean during our most recent vacation. Waves are crashing and she's popping up fine. And my goodness, I'm thinking to myself, she was afraid two years ago. Like, now that she's doing flips in the pool, these are things to celebrate, right? I, I, I know where we're headed for the final question on this podcast, and I'm, already, I'm not going to spoil it, but that's how I'm thinking. I'm thinking there's just such a set of experiences to absorb, and it, you know, you just said it
1: beautifully. So before we get to that last question, because you've done so much prep for our conversation, is there anything left on your list that you want to cover that we haven't?
2: Well, I want to encourage people to have better conversations every day. I, I, I started damn good conversations and I think it's the most uh, aggressive curse word I say. So I don't want to <laughs> get people scared. That's just this is how it happened. Someone on Twitter said, describe your podcast in three words. And for whatever reason, instead of overthinking it, I, I responded immediately. Damn good conversations went downstairs bought the domain damngoodconversations.com. I didn't ask my attorney and three best friends like I would normally do. I just did it. And now I'm I'm really excited about all the resources that I offer people there and it just felt right. So I do think there's a the difference between a conversation and pe- and a conversation where people are like, "Damn, that was that was a good conversation." I also don't want to put pressure on people, right? You can have laid-back conversations. I think they can just be better by better questions. So we really haven't talked that much about question asking. And I think I maybe would leave people with that. Here's a simple truism. If you ask better questions, you'll have a better conversation. And that sounds incredibly obvious to the point where people driving you're like, well, yeah, duh, of course. But I don't know if people are pausing and thinking about the implications there. There was one study, and I'm still doing work on this, but one study said we have 27 conversations a day. So if we have 27 conversations a day, if we, if we even accept that as a ballpark, can we imagine the exponential value we can extract from those conversations if each and every time we ask a better question? And it sounds like pressure, but it's not. I want to free people up. Practice it. Listen to Paul's podcast and say, all right, let me pause and see what I would have asked next and then steal that template right for your own life. And let me go back and listen to 1% Better and see what Joe asks as a follow-up question. And then you go into your meeting on Tuesday and you're like, oh, that was a question, but they, end, they ended that question with the word right question mark. Well, that was making an assumption, huh? Well, we, maybe we should just keep it open-ended. And this person did an either-or question. Maybe we should just ask it normal. And just, I have tried to encourage people to turn kind of their life and work into a laboratory where it's fun where you're playing with conversation, where you're trying. I'm not talking about the question like, if you were a kitchen appliance, what would you be and why? I'm thinking of you know, a follow-up question to something that was said, something that shows you were listening. Um, and I, I, I love getting emails from people. Hey, I heard you on Paul's podcast, and I was wondering what you meant by, or could you say more about that concept of the follow-up? Whatever it is, those are the conversations that are life-giving. They, they are so filling and I, that's what I would hope to encourage people to think about.
1: Well, now it's that time for the closing question. <laughs> so you, you, you've prepped for this, I know, but so my, my closing question that I ask all of my guests um, is what is the best thing about being a parent?
2: Well, there's so many. And because I, I did, and I, I did prepare because I listened to your podcast and I knew that was coming and I wanted to have a, an honest answer that was also valuable for people I thought about that Asian proverb where they say, we get two lives, one to live and one to learn from. And by having children, we kind of meld those worlds and we get to actually pass on the, the lessons that we learned in our lives to them in real time. And you get to actually watch them experience things that we experience and the joy that they have. And we wonder, was that what I felt? How are they experiencing that differently? And then the mistakes that we made, we try to save them the pain, but we know deep down they're going to go through some pain anyway, and we can't protect them from everything. But that idea, that notion that we get to live again, it sounds a little selfish and self-serving, but we're humans on this journey, right? And I think to see it through a child's eyes, it's, it's just an incredible thing. So when I think of that question, I think of you know, in a way, we're, we're doubling our lives, right? If we can double our lives and get more time and see the joy and see the happiness, I mean, there's very few things that are better than that.
1: Well, I think, as as always, that's an excellent way to wrap up uh, up this conversation. Joe, I can't thank you for being, uh, thank you enough for being a guest on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. And uh, I know that this has been a damn good conversation. <laughs>
2: Thank you. I will be checking my, uh, I'm going to take your checklist idea and check my emotional balance sheet. Paul, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.